Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bethel. Okay. You ever heard this expression before? Hope springs eternal. We often use it kind of tongue-in-cheek. So, for example, one might say, hey, I love to buy lottery tickets. Hope springs eternal. In other words, you know, you think you're going to win, but you know you're not going to win. It's never going to happen. So you say, well, you know, hope springs eternal. You never know. Now, this particular passage, this phrase comes from an essay written by an 18th century poet named Alexander Pope. And Pope's thesis in his essay is that it is our nature to always find fresh cause for optimism. That no matter what struggle, difficulties we might be facing, we will always hope for the best. That's his thesis. Do you believe that? Is that the case in your life? It's really not always the case in my life. I know that for sure. When all of a sudden I'm faced with some fresh struggle, it's not hope that wells up within me to meet that struggle. It's typically discouragement meets that struggle. I get a little down. I get a little gloomy. I get a little discouraged during those times of struggle. What about you? Would that be your experience as well? Now, like Alexander Pope, I wish that was the case for me, that hope would spring eternal each and every morning when I would get up to meet the difficulties of my day. I want that to happen. Don't you want that to happen? Absolutely. So we're going to go through the scriptures today, and we're going to discover how we can ensure that we can wake up at every moment of the day, hope will spring eternal to go ahead and bring confidence and hope into your life. All right, ready to run? First, we need to know the difference. There are actually two kinds of hopes, believe it or not. There's worldly hope. We'll talk about that in a moment. And there's also biblical hope. And sometimes we get both of them confused. Uncertainty about our future. Anybody concerned about their future? Anybody uncertain about their future? A little insecure about one's future? That happens to everybody, and we have to deal with that uncertainty and that insecurity each and every single day. The world expresses uncertainty when expressing hope. So when the world or an unbeliever uses the term hope, what they're really doing is expressing uncertainty. So, for example, gee, you're a young young person. You're thinking to yourself, I hope I make something of my life. I, let's say that you're a father taking care of your family. I hope I can meet my family's financial needs. I hope my wife's operation goes well. What's really being expressed there? Is it certainty? No. It's uncertainty is really being expressed there. They're not sure at all. That's how the world expresses hopes in terms of uncertainty. Worldly hope desires something good in the future but is absolutely unsure and uncertain of its outcome. That's a tough way to live. That is a real hard way to live. I don't want to live that way. I want to know that my future is absolutely certain, not uncertain. You know, when I was a young Christian, and I'm getting into the scriptures as a young man, I used to see some of these passages, for example, in Romans, where it says, hope We are saved. 
Hope are saved. Okay. Hope for eternal life, we read in, in um, Titus. And I'm thinking to myself, hope to be saved? I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Why does the Bible say hope to be saved? Or hope for eternal life? I would sit there and read that passage thinking, I know I have eternal life. Why does the Bible say hope for eternal life? Ah, because I was thinking about hope in terms of uncertainty. But the Bible expresses hope in terms of certainty. So that was my, that was my mistake. One of many mistakes I've made in reading Scripture and trying to interpret Scripture. Maybe that's not a good thing to say when I'm up here trying to explain the Scriptures to you. <laughs> okay. Biblical hope, on the other hand, get a load of this. I love this. This this has not come from me. I can't remember I got it. It's a deeply settled confidence. Don't you love that term? Hope is a deeply settled confidence that God will keep his promises. Wow. Listen to the words of Jeremiah. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in him. A deeply settled confidence. You know what that means? I don't have this internal struggle or debate going on in my mind or my heart any longer whether or not God can be counted on. There's no more debate in my mind or my heart whether or not my future is certain. It is absolutely settled. I, John Nugent, have settled the issue in my heart that God is trustworthy. I can put my future in his hands. And he is certain to fulfill all his promises in Scripture For John Nugent, and for you, and for you, and for you, and for you. You see how that's a matter of the heart. We need to wrestle with that and come out the other end certain of God's future for us. But So, believers express certainty when expressing hope. And how come we can express certainty when expressing hope? Who is the object of our hope? Yeah, the Lord, God is the object of our hope. So therefore, we can absolutely have certainty because he's our loving father. We know the character of God expressed in scripture. We know that he fulfills all of his promises. So we can have certainty. For those who don't know Christ as their their Lord and their Savior, they have to live in a world of uncertainty because they don't have God as the backstop. So they have to base their hope maybe on other people, flawed people who will let them down. Maybe they have to base their hope on their own cleverness, their own intellect, their own capacity, whatever the case might be. That's a tough way to live. It's a real hard way to live. You'll be disappointed each and every time. Let's take a look at what Jeremiah has to say. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord has the plan already figured out, laid out, every season of our life until they put us in a pine box and put us six feet under. He's got an absolute perfect plan for us. And who declares that? Some person down the street, a parent, a friend, declares the Lord, says, I've got a plan for your future. Plans to prosper you and plans to harm you. Have you ever felt that sometimes God was like out to get you? Maybe he was out to ruin your life sometimes. Maybe you have these cascading trials one after another, and you're saying, no mas, no mas, Lord, what is going on here? It's one trial after another. I I can't take it. Are you out to ruin me? I mean, I've expressed some of those thoughts before, and absolutely not. God says, look, prosper you and not to harm you. 
So when we'll talk about this in a, in a few moments, but we're going through trials and struggles. We need to know that God is not out to harm us. We'll see that it's for good and not to harm us, okay? And it's plans to give you a hope and a future. How beautiful is that? All laid out right here. God has a wonderful plan to give you a hope and a future. It's in his hands. Now, do we have a role to play in this? Yeah, we have some responsibilities when it comes to hope. First of all, let's take a look at 1 Peter 1 through 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, minds that are fully alert and fully sober, this is beautiful, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So Peter is saying three things here. Let's go through these three things that Peter is saying. First of all, I see that he's saying, minds alert. See that one up there? Minds alert. We need to be watchful against the attacks of the evil one. So when we're going through struggle, when we're going through pain, we're going through suffering, we're vulnerable, aren't we? We are really vulnerable to the attacks of Satan to weaken our resolve, to weaken our faith and trust in God. So Peter is saying, hey, be alert when you're struggling, okay, because you're vulnerable at that time. The second thing, he says that be fully sober, okay? What he's saying here, be fully sober, is look, I don't, when you're going through difficult times, don't be drunk on fear, don't be drunk on uncertainty, don't be drunk on doubt. And we've seen some folks who seem to be drunk on fear, uncertainty, and doubt when they're going through struggle. They can barely manage their own lives when they're going through struggle. It's hard for them to function when they're going through struggle because they're so drunk on worry. Their mind is so full of fear and uncertainty and doubt. And so Peter is saying, control the thoughts in your mind. That talk track in your mind, you need to control your talk track and discipline the talk track in your mind. Don't go the... the, uh, the FUD factor, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Don't go there, okay? Now, look, we can't stop those thoughts from entering our minds, right? They're going to enter our mind. But we have a responsibility to make sure that those thoughts do not nest in our mind. So when those thoughts come into our minds, we have to get rid of those thoughts immediately. Don't ponder those thoughts of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Don't roll them through your mind. Don't roll them around your tongue. No! I'm not going there. No! Get behind me, Satan. No! I'm not interested in that talk track in my head. No! I'm going to counter it with Scripture. Believe me, you're vulnerable. Satan wants to take you down and get you depressed and get you hopeless. But we have a responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen by controlling the thoughts in our minds. The third thing that uh, Peter's asking us to do is to set. Some of your translations might have fix. We fix our hope on the grace of Jesus Christ, who's going to come back for us. So our object of our hope, again, is Jesus Christ. We fix our hope on him. And hope here, the translation is, trusting with a perfect confidence. Wow. Do we hope in our God for a future with an absolute confidence that he's going to deliver? A confidence that God's got our back? Confidence that God knows what he's doing and my life is in his hands? That's the kind of confidence that Peter is saying that we should have. 
a perfect confidence in God, that he will come through for us, he will deliver us. Now, a very practical thing that we can do here is be able to preach to ourselves. Sometimes we say, oh, you know, I got to go hear a good, good sermon on a Sunday, you know, because I need to be uplifted. I'm feeling a little low. I'm feeling a little discouraged. I need to get the church to hear a good sermon. That's true. You do need to do that. But scripture, you have a sermon in front of you in terms of your Bible that you can crack open every moment of the day. That's the best sermon in the world. And so God is saying, look, get your nose in the Bible. Okay, when you're feeling fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Get your nose into the scripture, because look what it says here. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement. Isn't that amazing? So where does this hope come from? Read the scriptures. God will weld up that hope. Hope will spring eternal in your life as we keep our nose in the scripture. Because we're always encouraged when we read the scripture. Aren't we? I tell you what, I'm, you know, the only time I'm discouraged when I read the scripture and when, when God is trying to point out some sin in my life. Oh, Lord, you had to show me that one. I get it. But other than that, it's primarily encouragement. I always feel stronger. My shoulders are back. My chest is out a little bit more. I feel much more encouraged to take on the day. So keep, we need to keep our nose in the scripture. As we wait patiently, it is tough to wait patiently when you're going through a struggle, isn't it? Man, I want to be impatient. Sometimes I want to throw God under the bus, it seems. Well, maybe I can't count on God. Maybe he doesn't see what I'm going through. And I'm being kind of impatient with God. And when you sense you're being impatient, again, go to the scripture where the scriptures can build up hope and encouragement in you to give you that patience you need to continue with your struggle. And I'm aware of people, and you are aware of people, who struggle every single day of their lives. And they will struggle because of a physical uh, affirmity, whatever the case might be, a psychological one. They will struggle their whole life. How can they do that? They can do it with the strength of God. So preach to yourself. If God is for us, who can be against us? I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I will never leave you, nor nothing can separate us from. Do not be anxious, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It's plans to give you a future and a hope. You feel a little bit better just by reading those scriptures? You could just preach those to yourself each and every morning, and you're ready to take on the day, no matter the difficulty in your life. Think of it this way. How can God be glorified through our struggles in our suffering? One way is when we are putting in our, we're putting our trust in God. We truly trust God with our future. We are affirming to God that he is, in fact, trustworthy. When we trust in God for our future, we're affirming to God, you know, Lord, you are trustworthy. That's what we're saying. And God is glorified. Oh! <gasps> the struggles that you're going through, and yet you're putting your trust in me, patiently waiting for your deliverance. That gives glory to God. He's so excited about his children. It gives glory to God. But there's the other side of the coin coin too. If you have fear, uncertainty, and doubt with regards to your future and the struggles you're having, you're basically saying, God, 
I, I can't trust you. You know, I, I hate to say it, but I, I can't, I don't think I can trust you. It's been going on too long. Too much is happening. I, I just don't know if I can trust you. So let's go ahead, put our trust in God by saying that he has control of our future and it's all safely in his hands. Okay, let's change gears a little bit here. Talk a little bit about what about those times, those times when we're, when we're, really, when we're really suffering. What can we do? And how do we keep hope springing internally each and every day of our lives to meet our challenges? I think the point here is, look, why I'm suffering? Can anything good come from my suffering? If I got to go through it, can anything good come from our suffering? I got to tell you this. God will not waste one moment of your suffering. He will not waste one moment of it. Let's take a look at this. One of the things I, uh, I was thinking of is that our, our suffering does not come with an expiration date, right? Don't you wish your suffering came with an expiration date? I've got these category A sufferings. Oh, those things only last uh, 30 days, okay? Then it'll be over. The expiration date's 30 days on those. Oh, I've got category B suffering and difficulties. Oh, those, the expiration date is 90 days. Hang on, 90 days, it'll, it'll be over. But there's no expiration date on our suffering, okay? Well, still, with that, could anything good come from it? Why I wait, And there's sort of like an ironic twist here. There's an ironic twist that God uses our suffering to produce qualities within us, qualities that will help us to continue to endure our suffering. What? What? You use my suffering to create qualities that allow me to continue with my suffering? Why don't you go ahead and produce qualities that my suffering will be over? Okay, but God uses our suffering to produce these qualities to help us to, we'll see in a moment, to persevere through our suffering and to have hope through our, our suffering. First, it's important to understand that God orchestrates every event in our life. Do you believe that? Is that a deeply settled conviction that you have in your heart? That God orchestrates every single event in my life? I tell you, you can just sort of do this if you believe that. If you believe that, wow. Okay? God orchestrates every event in your life. And that's for temporal benefits, benefits here on earth. And I don't understand this, but the scripture says it's also for eternal benefit. Don't understand it, but let's not get into it. But it's for our benefit today, and it's for our benefit we're in the kingdom of God. Okay? So there's some benefit associated with it. I, don't have, I won't put the scripture up, but Romans 8, 28, we're very familiar with it. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. So we can be confident that the good in our life, the bad in our life, the ugly in our life, somehow, some way, an all-powerful and loving God can somehow bring it all together for good. That is amazing. For the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So God is sovereign over our lives, sovereign over every event in our lives. And it's important for us to understand that nothing can touch us. Nothing can reach us before it first passes through the loving hands of God himself. Okay? 
Second, suffering gives us the opportunity to glorify God. Or another way to say it, God gives us the power to glory in our suffering. I don't want to glory in my suffering. Just take it away. Uh, give it to Stan. He likes the glory in his suffering. Give all that suffering to Stan. Let, let him glory in his suffering. I'm not interested in glorying in, in suffering, right? I just want suffering to be done with, over. But God uses suffering, as we'll see here, to do marvelous things in our, in our lives. Let's take a look at the passage here. Five, two, five. Here we go. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings. Hmm. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Oh, so we glory in our suffering because it's going to produce the following in our life. Okay, well, what's suffering going to produce in our life? Perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Oh, perseverance, godly character, and hope get produced in our lives. Don't you wish there was another way for those three qualities to be produced in our life? Why does it have to be suffering? But God uses suffering to build these three qualities into our life. And hope does not put us to shame. We will not be ashamed. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So another translation here for suffering is tribulation. And tribulation, the word for tribulation is pressure. And the word picture here is an olive presser, where they would take the olives, put it in the press, and the press would create downward pressure on that olive, and what would be produced from that downward pressure on that olive? Yeah, olive oil, something wonderful, something that we can actually use, olive oil. Okay, so that, that is the idea that suffering creates pressure, and pressure can produce some marvelous things in our, in our lives. Okay? So God uses our suffering and the pressure of being under suffering to produce perseverance, godly character, Christ-likeness, and also hope. So we glorify God, and God is glorified when we suffer. Because God looks at us and says, wow, look what's going on here. I'm so proud of you. You're going through this suffering And it's producing this perseverance, and you're producing godly character, and it's producing hope, and God couldn't be more excited for you. But you're going through suffering. (laughs) You're going through suffering. But it's producing these wonderful qualities, and God is being glorified in the process. So think about that when you're going through your suffering. It'll give us that hope. It'll help calm our spirit. Let me read to you a poem called The Oak Tree from the poet John J. Ryder. Oak Tree. A mighty wind blew night and day. It stole the oak tree's leaves away, then snapped its branches and pulled its bark until the oak was tired and stark. But still the oak tree held its ground while other trees fell all around. The weary wind gave up and spoke, How could you still be standing, oak? The oak tree said, I know that you can break each branch of mine in two, carry every leaf away, shake my limbs and make me sway, but I have roots stretched in the earth, growing stronger since my birth. You'll never touch them, for you see, they are the deepest part of me. Until today, I wasn't sure of just how much I could endure. 
But now I've found, with thanks to you, I'm stronger than I ever knew. Our suffering only proves to make us stronger. And the perseverance and the Christ-likeness and the hope grows deeper and deeper in Christ Jesus, making us stronger so that we can withstand the storms of life. Okay, let's, uh, last section of my talk. Let's take a look at two Old Testament luminaries. Let's take a look at the great prophet Jeremiah. So how did, how did the great Jeremiah handle adversity in his life and struggles in his life? I'm sure we can learn a few things from the great prophet Jeremiah. Hey, how about we take a look at King David? Hey, he's a well-respected, he's a big cat in the Old Testament. Let's take a look at how he handled adversity and hopelessness in his life. And let's compare and contrast each. Let's take a look at uh, Jeremiah first. Now, Jeremiah, as you remember, this guy had a tough life. He was always being threatened. He was always being thrown into prison. He was always being uh, handcuffed with, with, with change and strung up with, with change in, in, in the dungeons. And the people of Judah hated him. Because it was always predicting judgment against the people of Judah for the way they had violated God's law. So you know what happens when you tell people about their evil deeds. What do they do? They want to string you up. <laughs> they want to kill you. Well, that's the same thing that happened here with Jeremiah. Let's take a look at how he handled this. So Jeremiah, did hope spring eternal in Jeremiah's life? Well, let's see. Then I said, what sorrow is mine, my mother? Oh, that I had died at birth. I am hated everywhere we go. Wait a minute, wait a minute, what? Uh, You got the right slide up there? This is the great prophet Jeremiah, how he's handling adversity in his life. What's he saying? I wish I was never born. Have you ever had that, felt that? I'm going through so much pain and agony in my life. I wish I was never born. And that's what the great Jeremiah is saying here. I wish I was never, I wish I was never born. He, this guy is having a major league pity party. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than this. Major league pity party here. So he tells the Lord he wishes he was never born. So again, this is not a hope springs eternal moment for Jeremiah. But guess what? It gets worse. It actually gets worse. Let's take a look at the next one. Then I... Why then does my suffering, make sure I get the right one, continue? Have you ever asked yourself that? Lord, why does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain. There's the word. Uncertain. Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that's gone dry. So it's springtime. The brook should be overflowing with water. But it's dry. You are as uncertain as a seasonal brook gone dry. Whoa, whoa, calm down, Jeremiah. He's completely lost his composure during his struggles here. Throwing God under the bus, he tells him, he scolds him for why he's allowing his suffering to continue. I mean, we really can't get down on Jeremiah here. I mean, do you see yourself in Jeremiah? I see myself in Jeremiah. I get it. I know where the guy's coming from. I've lost my composure with God during times of suffering and and high pressure, it it sometimes can happen. He tells God he's not powerful enough with the wounds of his situation. In other words, God, my situation is so dire that I don't even think you're big enough to handle it. I don't even think you can cure the wounds of my situation. 
And then he says that his help is uncertain. Wow. Okay. This certainly wasn't Jeremiah's finest hour. And we too sometimes haven't had our finest hour in dealing with, uncertain, dealing with issues in our life. But you know what? This guy was quick to gain his composure, get back on track. The next verse says God reprimanded him. You really can't talk to God this way. Okay? God reprimanded him. said, let's pull it together, Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, sorry, Lord. I, I lost all composure. I-, I get it. He repented for that. And then just two or three verses later, look what God says. And they will fight against you like an attacking army, but I will make you as secure as a fortified wall of bronze. The first thing you notice here is, you would think after this pity party that he had, and he was so upset that God would say, oh, Jeremiah, let me pull back the attack of the people against you. Right? He doesn't. He affirms and said, these attacks are going to continue. Why? Because they're producing perseverance. They're producing godly character. They're producing hope in him. There's so much good going on here. God's going to use it for his good. So he presses the attack. And then he says, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make you as strong and as sturdy as a bronze wall. Wow. Anybody want to be sturdy as a bronze wall when you're going through trouble? Absolutely. Amen. Oh, that's a stretch. Sorry, sir. Okay. So then it says that God, they will not conquer you. Isn't that beautiful? These words are for us. I know these words are being expressed to Jeremiah, but when you read these words, just plug your name in here. I'm going to make you as sturdy as a bronze wall. I'm going to fortify you. They will not conquer you. So whatever you're going through, it doesn't have to conquer you. It doesn't have to lay you flat. It doesn't have to turn you into a puddle of water. God says it won't conquer you. Very, very important. And then it says, uh, because I will protect you and I will rescue you. Wow. God's saying to every one of us, I'm going to protect you. Trust me. I'm going to rescue you. I will deliver you. Just trust me. Stay calm. I will take care of it all. Okay? Again, these words are not just meant for Jeremiah, but these words are meant for us. So, let's go ahead and take a look at how King David handled some, some pressure in his life. I love this passage here. When I, when, I, when I struggle, I'm going through a lot of struggles, I go, to the, I go to this psalm right here. And I've been at this psalm and studied this psalm so much, you'll see in a moment, I've come up with like, sort of like four guidelines on how to handle, handle depression in your life when you're really struggling. Maybe it's, it's, these four guidelines mean a whole lot to me. I just kind of picked them out through studying this verse so many times. Hopefully they'll mean something to you. But first of all, let's read the passage. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Okay, we get it. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I'll remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and from Mount Mizar. So in these passages, I believe King David is laying out four guidelines that we can take advantage of when we're struggling. And I came up with a cute little mnemonic for this. It's called A-N-S-R. Get it? Answer, as in God has all the answers. Just preach, John. Forget the creativity. Okay, got it. Got it, got it, got it. 
All right, but, but think answer, A-N-S-R, okay? So the first thing we see here, A, the A, A stands for acknowledge that you are depressed. The verse, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Look, everybody gets depressed at various points in life. It's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. We get depressed. It's part of life, okay? Now, you've got King David. This guy is the most powerful man on the planet at the time this song was being written by him. He had a vast army. He had vast resources. And yet, he still got depressed. It has nothing to do with your capability, how rich you are. We all are going to get depressed in life. And it, and, and it happens. The N stands for name. Name your depression. Why so disturbed within me? So King David has to sit back and say, search his heart. And say, why am I so downcast? Why am I feeling depressed? I think sometimes that happens to us. We're, we're so gloomy and we're so low, we're trying to figure out what is the cause of that anyway. I used to be like that. When any time I had feelings of gloom, feeling low, feeling a little depressed, I used to, I used to say, nope, can't deal with that. I got a lot of things to do today. I'm going to take that, put it in a box, and put it over here. And then I would go run and try to do my day. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to figure out why I was depressed, why I was feeling a little, little gloomy. But what would happen? Probably happens to you. You get a little impatient. You get a little short. You get a little moody with people because you haven't settled something in your heart. You haven't dealt with why do I feel so low? Why am I feeling, getting, feeling a little, a little depressed? And so once I would sit down and say, peel the onion a little bit, and deal with it, and I could name it. Once I named it, then I could deal with it, as, as opposed to letting it sit out there unnamed, not knowing. So acknowledge it, and then name it. The S stands for set. Put your hope in God, for I will praise him yet, my Savior and my God. So again, this is the whole notion of setting and fixing our hope on God to help us during times of struggle. And this is, again, coming from King David, most powerful guy on the planet. Even he got down on his knees and set and fixed his hope on God. And I love this one here. For I will praise him yet. This is an unbelievable passage. Here's what I glean from this passage here. For I will praise him yet. The whole idea here is he has such perfect confidence that God is going to deliver him from his problem today that he's willing to praise God today for how he's going to deliver him tomorrow. That's, I mean, way to go, King David. You get a hand. That's perfect confidence. I mean, that is something I don't do. I tend to fret about today as opposed to start praising God today for how he's going to deliver me tomorrow. That's a wonderful, wonderful way to handle things. And lastly, the R. Coming down to the end, gang. The R stands for remember. Therefore, I will remember you. To build up hope, to build up trust in our lives, we have to go back and remember the times God was so faithful to us and how he delivered us from the past. When we do this, this builds up strength within us. Yes, we heard about reading scripture to build up strength. Here's another thing we can do to build up strength. Run the tapes back 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 3 years ago, 1 year ago about how God had delivered you 
from something that you were so torn about, so vexed about, and yet God delivered you. Think about those times, because that will build up faith that God will deliver you now. He'll deliver you from this situation that you are, that you are facing. Okay? So we have King David. He remembers the times of trouble in Jordan and Mount Hermon and Mount Mizar, where God graciously delivered him. So what does the demonic answer, A-N-S-R, mean? A stands for? Oh, acknowledge the N. Yeah, okay, what does the S stand for? Set. And what does the R stand for? Whoa, A. Everybody gets a little sticker star in their forehead. Out you go. Okay. All right, let me conclude uh, my talk this morning by reading to you a story. I just kind of like, as I was on the Google searching for things, I, just, I ran across this story. I probably, I want to do a little bit more of a search on this man. His name is Henry Martin. So let me read you a little bit about Henry's story. Henry Martin was a young missionary in India, Arabia, and Persia in the early 1800s. He was a scholar who entered Cambridge University at the tender age of 16. He turned his back on a promising academic career and became a preacher of the gospel. At the age of 25, he had left his fiancée, Lydia Grinfell, behind in England to travel to India to preach and translate the gospel. On the boat over, he fought back self-pity and discouragement with the promises of God's word. He arrived in Calcutta, India, and two months later had a devastating experience. One of the veteran missionaries preached a sermon directed against Henry Martin and his doctrines. This is a young man. He's only 25. He called his teaching inconsistent, extravagant, and absurd. He accused him of seeking only to gratify self-sufficiency, pride, and charitableness. This was a crushing blow to Henry Martin. Yet over the next five years, in frail health, suffering from tuberculosis, he preserved and was able to translate the New Testament in Hindustani, Persian, and Arabic. Due to his advancing tuberculosis, he decided to travel back to England to regain his strength and to reconnect with his fiancée, Lydia. But traveling through Constantinople, Turkey, he died from tuberculosis. Died at the tender age of 31. Though mocked, ridiculed, suffering from poor health as a young man, wondering if he'd ever see his beloved Lydia, Martin always set his hope in God and he penned these following words. This is Henry Martin. I cast my care upon him who hath already done wonders for me and am sure that, come what will, it shall be good. It shall be best. How sweet the privilege that we may lie as little children before him. I find that my wisdom is folly. And my care, useless, so that I try to live on from day to day, happy in his love and in his care. For the Lord Jesus, who controls all events, is my friend, my master, my God, my all. Amen.